maybe Diana and Rhonda. Is that who's coming? Well, it is great to see you here this morning, and uh, we'll be having a prayer right at the end here this morning. We're going to pray for Don Ashley this morning, who has some unexpected adventures in the medical world come up. And uh, then we also heard word from uh, John Lane this morning that they are at regional hospitals with Myrna, have been there for a while. And uh, so we'll pray for them this morning as well. And so we'll do that at the close of service today. Uh, next Sunday, we'll wrap up this series that we're in right now, uh, Under Construction, God at Work. Today we're talking about yielding, and I'll give you some Hopefully some scriptural ideas about that, what that looks like in our lives as individuals, what that looks like as a, as a church, as a community of believers together as we're moving forward in uh, what God's going to do. And we'll wrap that up uh, next week with our final in that series, which is a uh, uh, new traffic pattern will be next Sunday uh, as we're talking about vision and things for the future. And then I leave next late a week from tomorrow to go to Alabama to meet with Week 418 Fellowship that I told you about last week, church there that wants to partner with us in Alaska in ministry, and maybe we can partner with them as well. So I'll be going down there to meet them, meet their people, meet the team that's coming here already this summer with GraceWorks, 39 of them signed up who just want to come to Alaska. And uh, this is what the pastor told me when we talked earlier this week. He said, listen, we're coming for GraceWorks, but that was just the vehicle to get us close to you guys. We want to connect with Christ Community Church, and that's just so encouraging. And then, uh, as well, uh, want to keep in your mind all of those future things that we have going on, so make sure and check out the website. It's all listed there on the website, future events that we have, opportunities that we have, ladies' luncheon, men's breakfast, uh, men's retreat, one-day conference retreat in May, uh, the, the, the December Christmas concerts and things in between here and there, local events. Uh, you know, we talked about a few weeks ago as we, what we hope to see is as we begin to express as, as leaders in the church to you and invite you to come along with where we think God is, is taking us, that we begin to express here are some things that we need to put our hands on. And, and we talked about returning to our vision about creative arts and, and theater arts and things in the community. There were no things on the calendar when we started talking about that. And all of a sudden, when we finally said, you know, this is still important, things to start coming at us and landing on the calendar. And so uh, some of those are public events and some of those are not public events, not that they're secret, but like uh, we're going to host TBA Theater here for a week for their current production that they're auditioning for right now, Alice in Wonderland. They need a large space to get all of these people together. And so they said, can we work together? I said, of course we can work together. Why? Because this is part of our mission. And that was not in the works. That was not in the books. It just came to us as we said, let's go in this direction. And there are several other things like that that are starting to, to, to pop up for us. So uh, keep praying for that. And I want to mention that last week Jason talked about, he laid out many of the things that we're about. We talked about, you know, the, the common things that every church should be about. Uh, fellowship with one another, encouragement to one another, assistance when uh, life is difficult and things are, are not going the greatest that they should. 
celebrating when things are going great, discipleship, us maturing together as believers as we pursue Christ. Those, those, are, those are just understood, right? Worshiping together, the teaching and breaking of the word. That's just understood. We're talking about the things that are sort of on the, the edges of that, that put us out in the community or connect us to the community. And he made this question. He says, if, if none of this is exciting to you, what are you here for? And that question is not a challenge of, you don't matter. It's a question of, God brought you here for a reason. What are you here for? Why, why are you here? And I'm going to touch on that in this message today with some of the, the texts that we'll use from the Scripture. Because we have always believed that as God moves in us and, and the church, you know, there are some of us who've been here for about the, the long haul, right? 20 years or more together. There are people that come in and they go out. There are people that come in and they get some sort of training or they some, God grows them in their life and they go out and they do other ministry somewhere else. There are some people that just kind of drift in and drift out. Some people drift in and then they move somewhere else. That's just the nature of an organic thing. There's no, there's no sadness in that really other than we miss people who aren't around because they're part of us, right? But we always have believed that God equips the church in the moment to do the work that he wants to do. And sometimes the church isn't doing some of the work that God wants us to do because we don't know that you're equipped to do something and that we're supposed to be helping you do it. So think about that as we go forward in this room, joining us uh, via the live stream today. Uh, perhaps watching this later in this week or a couple weeks down the road, whenever you get a chance to, think about that. It's not a challenge of, well, why are you here? It's a challenge of, why are you here? What is it that God has for you and in you to be part of this community? Now, I want to temper that with, there's not an expectation that you have to jump into everything that we're doing. We have never been a church because we don't believe it's healthy. It says every time the doors are open, you better be here. Because there's life, and there's family, and there's ministry far outside the walls of this building. That's also why we don't have a ton of stuff here in this space. It's very easy to become a closed environment, a closed group that just kind of ministers to itself. But we don't want to be that church. We want to be a church where we come here to get restoration and refreshment and encouragement and instruction. And then we go and we take that into the world that's out there. Because that's where the darkness is, and we are to be what? Light in the darkness. So that's kind of our, our, our large vision idea without going into a bunch of nitty-gritty details about how we do that necessarily, because that also changes over time as we change over time. But uh, don't feel like what I'm saying to you is some sort of pressure that you, you have to pick something and get involved. Because sometimes what we need is to not be involved, and that is our ministry in the church, is to allow the church to be good to us and to allow God to be good to us while he moves us, shapes us, pushes us towards something good that he wants to do. All right? So we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today, several verses, but... Uh, Mostly the text, I think, will do the speaking for itself. 
Have you ever been in an environment where, it's funny, I, I can't refer to this direct conversation, but I know there's at least one person in this room because we just had this conversation this morning. I love you, honey. Um, where you have things in front of you, like there's opportunities, there's options, or there are things that you know that you should be doing. That was not this conversation, it was the other one, the options. The things you know that you should be doing, and you find yourself in a state either of confusion, anxiety, or even rebellion. Right? You know, it could be any of those things. It could be there are opportunities in front of you, and, you're, and maybe there's multiple opportunities, and you're trying to discern which one am I supposed to choose. And if, if we were sitting in a kind of a mentoring environment this morning, just you and I, and you were talking to me about this in your life, I would give you this guidance. Jim and I have talked about this. We get the opportunity to meet a couple of times a month to have coffee just because we're friends, but also as part of our, my school stuff. And we talk about some of these things, and I know we've talked about this recently. Sometimes when there's multiple options, there really is only one right answer. And sometimes, let's say there's three options, any one of the three options could be the right answer. Right? Sometimes God is just saying, wait, I'm giving you possibilities. All of them will be good, but they'll all be different. So just pick one. And it can be difficult to, to sort that out, right? Which kind is it? And we can find ourselves sort of paralyzed in making a decision. Uh, sometimes it can be that there is something in front of us that we know we're either supposed to do, supposed to take part in, supposed to lead, supposed to be the active force in something, and, it, and it, could be, it could be something related to church ministry, it could be something related to your home life, your own uh, little kind of world that you're in, it could be something at work. Uh, I know I've had conversations with people in this room about being in workplaces where, where things were happening that were wrong, you know, like even sometimes illegal. And they, had to, they felt they had to be the one who finally stepped into that place and said, you know, guys, this isn't right. This has to stop. And so it could be environments like that even, but some place where you sense that God wants you to take action, and we sometimes will find ourselves in the position of actively saying, no thank you. No thank you. I won't, I won't tell the whole story this morning, but... But my call to ministry was, was just like that. I suspected when I was little that God wanted me to somehow work in the church ministry, but I didn't really know what that meant. I saw my dad. He was pastoral. He was a pastor. Um, certainly the churches we went to, you know, I could see the people doing their functions. At those days, we called them song leaders. They weren't worship pastors. Uh, they weren't even, they, it wasn't even worried, it was a song leader, and it was literally this, right? And uh, I have a very vivid memory of standing on the back row at the old Faith Baptist Church over on Wisconsin, or on uh, Spinard, which is now the Chelsea Inn, in the auditorium there, on the back row, standing on the pew, doing this, during the music. I don't know if my meter was any good or if I had any idea what I was doing, but I was in it. I was, I was active. That didn't develop in, into a sense of an actual calling until I was around 16, 17 years old. 
And at 16, 17 years old, I knew very clearly that God was calling me to ministry. And I knew that he was calling me to preach. And there were some things that happened in that time period that would have probably opened some really amazing doors, uh, done some fun things, that I said no for about 12 years, until I was almost 30, until I finally gave in and said yes to that calling. Now, along that time, Karen and I had been dating in high school. We got married. Uh, we didn't have our first child until 97. So I had, I had come to, I had surrendered. <laughs> it really was, they, surrendering to a call to ministry, mine was truly surrendering. Um, because I just, I just had to. I could not be happy anymore doing the things that I was doing. I had to plug into what God wanted me to do. And so there was that thing that was out in front of me that I knew that I actively just rebelled against for a long time. I just said, nope, not doing that. And I had all kinds of great reasons not to say yes. But he chased me down anyway. And so here I am doing this still, right? And listen, having the time of my life, is it hard some days? Does it freak me out some days? Yeah. Uh, finances will freak me out. Church attendance will freak me out. Uh, social, you know, things will freak me out. World events will freak me out. God is faithful. And that's all I can say, is that from the, from the very beginning, God has just been faithful. And so, when we look at these passages this morning, I want you to think about your own life in relationship to your own, I, I'll just call it your own little universe, right? The stuff that's within your arm's reach that you can put your hands on, your work, your friendships, uh, your relationships, your own personal well-being, are there things that God is moving you to represent Him in those circumstances that are not active right now? Things that you, that you can identify that either you're saying no to, or He's just beginning maybe to present them to you, or there's multiple things that are on that potential list, and you're just trying to figure out, well, what's the best thing for me to do? So think about it in your own personal context. Think about it in the context of church, if this is your church home. Uh, what does that look like? Uh, you might be visiting and have a church home somewhere else. What does it look like there? And then in a broader sense, even still, through both your personal life, your, your little universe, the universe of your church community, how then does that connect to the broader community where the gospel needs to be preached to those who are living in darkness? Because that is ultimately the mission of the church. We talked about that in the first Sunday of this series. That we are absolutely about making disciples for Jesus Christ. Disciple means someone who is an acolyte, a follower, a student of Jesus. That's what we are to become as believers. But before we can become a student of Jesus, we have to have that moment, that realization that the good news of Jesus Christ is for us. And that we need it and that we receive it, and then we become one who is on the path of becoming a disciple. So, here we go. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You have probably heard these before, maybe not, but they're powerful to me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies 
as a living sacrifice. And let's just stop right there. A living sacrifice. I want you to think about those words. Especially the word sacrifice. Now, why would the writer of Romans say to us that we should present ourselves some of the translations say, like this one does, uh, our bodies as a living sacrifice. Is he speaking only of our physical flesh? Certainly includes that. But in this context, body means the whole of us. Everything that makes you who you are. He says, I appeal to you. Some translations say, I urge you, therefore, my brethren. And just because you're a lady in this room doesn't mean you get out from underneath of this, right? We know that this language is inclusive in that way. It's speaking to all of us. To not just allow yourselves to be a sacrifice, not to fall into or happenstance or because of circumstance suddenly become a sacrifice, but that you and I actively present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And when he says living there, the implication is not that we are this one-time satisfaction like we would read when we think about sacrifice in the Old Testament system, we think of this, this one-time satisfaction of some requirement, perhaps, in the law to, to have the sins forgiven of the people or to, uh, to celebrate something that God has done uh, in the memory of, of the people of, of the Old Testament, of the, the kingdom of Judah. But those are what kind of sacrifices? They're dead. They're dead. That's why they had to be be given over and over and over. Because they weren't sufficient. What he's calling us here is to be a sacrifice similar to Christ, who the Bible tells us is a living sacrifice. The one living sacrifice. How is he the living sacrifice? Because he gave himself at Calvary, was crucified and died, and then what? He rose again. He's not dead. Amen? And so in that same fashion, the writer is here calling us, urging us, begging us, appealing to us to present ourselves as a sacrifice that is not a one-time deal, but as a living sacrifice that every moment, every breath, every thought that goes through our mind might become subject to the will and work of God and to his purpose. And he says, he goes on to say this, so present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I like some of the other translations that say here, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of service. That when we think about what God has done for us, it doesn't seem unreasonable then that we would live for him, with him, alongside his purpose as he is living alongside our purpose. So the first thing I would encourage you to do 
is live your life as a gift to God. And, and don't, don't think that that means it has to be somehow uber-religious or super-spiritual. Don't for a moment think that that somehow cuts off what some would say are the, the, the pedestrian things of our lives. Our likes and dislikes, our hobbies, our talents, our gifts, the, those who are close to us, those who love us, those whom we love, the activities that we engage in with those people. Friends, this is, I love how Dallas Willard talks about this. He says, how would Jesus live your life if he were you? Don't go try to live someone else's life. Live the life that he's given to you. Celebrate the things that he has given you that bring you joy. Love those that he's put in your circle, in your, in your universe. Love them as deeply as you possibly can. But as you do it, do it as a gift to God. Because as you do that, as you yield that part of you to God, what did God do in response to those sacrifices before? What did he do in response to the sacrifice of Christ? He pours out love and mercy and grace and blessing. So if we live our lives, if we present our lives as a gift to God, would God be different today than he was then? Is he the same God today as he was then? Is it a different arrangement now? Is it a different agreement? Or is God still who he has always been? And will he not, my friends, still pour out blessing and grace and mercy? Now, if you've been around for any period of time, you know that I am not preaching to you any kind of a gospel that says that if, you, if you'll check off all the boxes and, and be happy with God, that, that everything gets easy after that. Because we know that Scripture tells us that, that that's, that's just not true for anyone. The best of the best, even. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Even those who are evil in their hearts know to give good things to their children. In this life, you will have trouble. But I cannot, I cannot, I cannot express to you enough the peace that can be within our spirits if we will grasp hold of God's most central truth of what He's promised us in this life. I've said it ad nauseum in this spot. I can't say pulpit because it's a music stand. In this place, I've said it so I'm blue in the face, and I will continue to say it. I hope you're not bored. The thing he has promised us and that gives me so much comfort in my life is that he will never, ever leave us, even in the darkest times. Is it difficult to see him sometimes? Boy, it sure is. Is it difficult to understand our circumstances sometimes? Yeah, man. It sure is. We'll pray for Don here at the, at the close of the service here today. If he'll let us, I think he will. And I told him earlier this week, and I told Heather and his wife this morning, um, he's having some heart issues, and they just kind of, I mean, they just came out of nowhere. Crazy. 
I'm serious. And I've been angry all week. We've had some conversations because it's made me mad. But is he still with me? He is. Is he upset by my anger? He is not. <laughs> God's a big boy. He can handle it. He can take it. Does he understand? He does. Will I trust him? Probably. <laughs> but I want to yield and give my life as a gift to God because he has given me so much. All right, second point. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. So he's continuing his thoughts. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I love how that that language feels so kind. You're not such hot stuff, friends. That's what he's saying. Listen, don't think you got it all together. Don't think you're the cream of the crop. Now, again, I always have to caution these kinds of statements because he's not saying about you, although he does say it about himself at one point where he says, look, I'm just the worst of the worst. Uh, He says, "If if if there's a chief of the sinners, I'm the chief. So don't take this also to imply, which is a very common and popular thing right now among a certain segment of evangelical thought, that you're garbage. That you're nothing. This this isn't saying don't have self-esteem and don't value you as God values you. Don't value one another as God. In fact, what he's specifically trying to get to is make sure that you value one another in the way that God values his people, his creation, those... The, the humanity that is that is imprinted, stamped, and in somehow engaged and enmeshed with the very image of God in creation. Don't belittle one another. Don't don't put one another down. Don't think of yourself so much that you forget the value of your neighbor sitting next to you. And boy, are we in a world right now that could use that? Goodness gracious. We have found so many different ways to be mad at each other and to, to divide each other and to, to, to figure out who's in and who's out of whatever whatever arena you want to play in. I've never seen anything like it. It breaks my heart. Instead, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, this phrase is really important. What he's saying here is, don't think of yourself as more than your brother. In fact, observe your brothers, observe your sisters, and listen, in a minute, he's going to extend this beyond the body of believers. It's not just talking about in the church. Right now, he is but he's going to expand this to the rest of the world. 
But what he's saying is look at your brothers and sisters and have some sort of understanding, some sort of insight as to what their level of faith is. And understand what your level of faith is. And you might be at a level of faith that's way up here and they're way down here. And how dare you, how dare you belittle them or how dare you criticize them because they're not where you are. What you need to do is you need to, in sober judgment, look at one another and go, you know what? I need, I could, I got to be kind to, to so-and-so here because you know what? They're struggling right now. And this is a problem for them. And I, I don't need to come in with guns blazing and tell them how rotten they are because they don't have faith in God for something. I need to come in and bring my faith to the table and encourage them. This is, this is describing an unbelievably loving and synergistic relationship among the believers. This is looking out for the well-being of one another to sometimes not necessarily exclusion, but not the advancement of my own well-being. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And he starts a little list here of prophecy in proportion to our faith, and then he continues with some, some other contrasting ideas. But we love that picture. It, it happens again over in 1 Corinthians. I think chapter, I can't remember, chapter 12 or chapter 14 talks about the body, that, that some are hands and some are feet. And that we collected, this is why we, we say that God has equipped the church to do the, the, the work that he wants it to do. He has given us hands and feet and eyes and noses and mouths and ears and all kinds of stuff as a body, us together, to do our part. But you know as well as I do, if you clobber your pinky toe, anyone? Amen? Right? Uh, you get old like me and occasionally, Randall, you get gout in your big toe. Let me tell you, one little member not doing its job the way it needs to be doing or unable to do its job because there's a, something going on, the whole system starts to get messed up. And so what do we do in those certain We try to get it well, right? We try to get well. We get, we get a shoulder that's out of whack. Uh, we get nerve damage somewhere. We got an eye that's giving us trouble. We do everything we can to bring it back to its equilibrium because we need the entire body to be functioning. And that's what he's talking about, that we see one another in that way. In one of our classes, Jason and I were having a conversation here a few weeks ago, and a young uh, lady in that class named Julia, she's a missionary to uh, indigenous people in Arizona, doing some amazing uh, work, just incredible stories that we're hearing from her. We were talking, I don't remember how we were talking about this particular topic of the body, and she said uh, that she had been thinking about that. And she said, you know, I never thought about this before. And then the rest of us in the class went, wow, I never thought of that either. So it was a great moment. 
Because we tend to, like I just did, I talk about, you know, there's a hand, there's an ear, there's, uh, you know, an eye or whatever. But there's actually, like, how many hands on this body right now? There's two, right? Two eyes, two ears, one mouth. <laughs> mm, that says something. Two feet. Look, we can make all kinds of analogies all day long. That's why he gave us this metaphor, because it works. But sometimes there's work that's similar, but it's different, Right? I can do work with my right hand and work with my right hand. I can try and do the same things, but it works different. And somebody who's really left-handed, Christopher back there with some of his things that he does, he can do things more efficiently over here than I can do over here. We have two eyes. Why? Because that gives us stereoscopic vision. If we only have one, we lose our depth perception. And so this, this body that's supposed to be a believer is actually, it's so miraculous in its design. And if we would take the time to, to see one another in that way, and also then to think of one another as equally important in the function of the body, the body could be a much healthier place and a pleasant place to be a part of. And that working together is really what takes a church like ours, and in different seasons of our lives, when, when we're trying to kind of get our footing back and reestablish, that function of working together as a body is what really begins to move us forward in concert. If everybody wants to be a foot, we hop around a lot. We're not going to make much progress. We need everyone to seek out and understand who they are as part of the body and what do they bring and how can they serve with us. And so... Present your life as a gift to God. Live as a gift to God. Live as instruments of God. Live as persons of God, as parts of the body of God in our community. And the third one, Romans 12, 9 through 18. Here it is. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast. To what is good. Now, I want to I want to point out something here. It does not say abhor who is evil. It says abhor what is evil, and this can be very very difficult. difficult for us in our temporal earthly bodies, this, this clay that we're in when we're dealing with people who are in opposition to us in some way about any look, I'm not going to start naming areas in which we can be mad at people about. And some of it is evil. Right? There is evil in the world. But even so, Doers of evil in our world are still not beyond the reach of the grace of God. And we can, we can abhor what those activities are and those actions are, those philosophies are, but we do not have permission to hate any person. In fact, Jesus said, you've heard it said, Hate your enemies. I tell you instead, love your enemies. And I think this is what he means writing here when he says, let love be genuine. Because love is really genuine when you love someone that's hard to love. 
Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now you're thinking, all right, we're still talking about brothers and sisters, right? Hang on. Do not be slothful in zeal. means be excited about what God's doing in your life. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with who? All. Okay, fine. It's hard. Jesus said it's a narrow path. But I want to present myself as a living gift to God. I want to live as an instrument, a tool in the hands of God. And I want to live as a friend of God because God is the friend of sinners. So my encouragement to you today is go back to that beginning of this conversation. It's not really a conversation. It's very one-sided, but thank you for giving me some feedback today. I love that. Your universe, right? You know what that is. You can define that. You know where that your influence extends. Whatever's encompassed within that, your universe, your place within this community of believers and the community of believers attached to this place, Christ Community Church, that God has a mission for and a purpose for that, that, that we've just we've enjoyed for 20 years and we go through ups and downs and highs and lows and lefts and rights and one, but we're here and God is doing something. So we trust him to do that. Your universe, your community of believers, wherever that is and how that's connected. And then, how is that, how are these three things to influence your connection to the world out there where those all people are who need to be loved with the love of Jesus Christ? How can you, more than you are right now, live your life as a gift to God? How can you, more than you are right now, live as an instrument in the hands of God in this world, in your universe? How can you, how can I, more than I am right now, live in this world peaceably with all as a friend of God and a friend of God? to the lost.